This is the Small Mouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name is Travis Manson. Well, we've heard a lot of amazing anglers come across uh, this podcast as well on the YouTube channel. Smallmouth Crush for all the viewers that are watching this on their computers or cell phones or whatever the case may be. But we're also on all the major podcasting platforms that are out there. I don't know which ones. There's so many. It's confusing. Spotify, Apple, Tunes, whatever it's called. You get the point. You know what's up. We're talking smallmouth bass, talking with some of the top smallmouth bass anglers across North America, because you got to include Canada. For some reason, it's like, I think every Canadian's like a top smallmouth angler. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. We have so many good Canadian anglers out there. And really, the Great Lakes, some of the inland lakes that are up there, just amazing. If you have never been up in that area, and you're a bass angler. I don't care if you're a hardcore largemouth guy from Florida. You need to get your butt up here and experience some of the amazing fishing that that's out there, that that the Great Lakes, the St. Lawrence River, and all these big inland bodies of water provide. Definitely put that on your bucket list. Uh, but we're going to definitely talk some smallmouth fishing with tonight's guest. Super excited. Dude knows how to catch him. Curtis Richardson will be joining us shortly. But before we get there, we got to talk about the Real Shot. Of course, the Real Shot's quickly becoming the go-to shop for bass anglers across the country with a vast selection of some of the most sought-off. Sought out. Sought, what? Who? I shouldn't even read from the script. Just head on over to the Real Shot. Use my code SMALLMOUTHCRUSH15. Get 15% off your first order. All the top brands. Mega Bass Jackal. Z-Man, staple brands like Berkeley, VMC, Rapala, they got it all. Huge selection of rods and reels. And they know how to cater to the bass angler. And, of course, every time you purchase from the Real Shot, you help out this podcast. Plus, you get 15% off. So head on over and tell them Smallmouth Crush sent you. And that's it. Let's get into it. Let's bring him aboard. Curtis, what's going on, man? Talking big smallmouth, dude. I know you know how to bring him in. Fish a lot of big tournaments up on Lake Ontario, St. Lawrence River, pretty much all over up there. Uh, For viewers and and listeners that may not be familiar with yourself, Curtis, can you just give us a quick background, a little bit about yourself, what you've been up to, and maybe some of your future plans here when it comes to uh, bass fishing? Uh, Yeah, I uh, fishing tournament when I was... 12 years old, uh, just team stuff around the house. Um, you know, fell in love with it at, obviously at a young age and just fished and fished and fished as, you know, entered as many terms as I could. Eventually worked my way up. Um, a few years ago, I guess 2014, I decided to join uh, some clubs after fishing. You know, so I already did some opens and some coasts and stuff like that. Um, but got talking to join a club to try to get through the TBF um, side of things. And I going all the way to national championship and the all American, I ended up actually winning the all American. Um, and then after that, I, uh, that qualified me to fish the FLW tour. So I went and fished the FLW tour for four years and that 
pretty much brings us to right now. Yeah, man. So you won the all American, like the, the big tournament, not just the regional to get there, but the actual, we're all the big sticks from across the country. You know, as far as a, the BFL side of things, uh, that had been pretty cool. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a payday. And, uh, (laughs) that's crazy, dude. Like, that's what everybody dreams of that fishes at that local level is to win that. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I had a friend of mine who had, you know, gone up to the TBF doing the club stuff and went to the um, the nationals a few years. And he just talked to me today. He said, hey, there's kind of a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Do join a club and see what happens. And luckily, my first year, I went all the way on the whole thing. So it worked out pretty good. I, mean, I was lucky the the regional was at Clayton. Uh, you know, Thousand Islands, Lake Ontario. So that kind of helped get me to nationals, right? I won that. And, um, you know, and then the All-American was on Kentucky Lake um, in 2015. So Kentucky Lake was still, you know, it was the le- it was in June. So ledge fishing, which is so much like smallmouth fishing, which really gave me a huge advantage there, right? Because it's graphing and, and fishing deep structure. It's so much is like. That, is that what you relied on? A lot of graphing and stuff to find those fish? Yeah, for the All American, it was like, they only give you one day of actual mm. practice. So I, you have to go before the cutoff, and I graphed I think five or six days, found a bunch of schools, and then kind of came back and had you know fished as many waypoints as I could in that one day of practice, and then just kind of rolled with it. And yeah, I just caught all the fish, you know, twenty to twenty five foot deep, and it, just like smallmouth fishing, really, which was really nice. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. What would be your home body of water i guess or or the body of water that you are most familiar with or fish the most uh well i, I live right on the bay of quinney which is uh up in ontario and it's um just a big arm that comes off the top of lake ontario uh it's full of largemouth it's got some big smallmouth in it too um but so that's kind of my home body of water but i i really consider lake ontario i would say that's my home body of water sure do you get the opportunity to go mess around with smallmouth in other parts of the country, or do you kind of focus on that right now? Uh, well, I do like, you know, when I was fishing the FLW tour, obviously I was traveling all around. So I got to fish smallmouth down at Pickwick, um, all over the place. We've, you know, we've been to Cumberland and mm-hmm. lots of places, right. That have smallmouth down South. Um, and then up here all summer long, I'm doing team tournaments, pro-am type tournaments up here, uh, all summer. So we're fishing a lot of smallmouth on, you know, Great Lake St. Lawrence, uh, Lake Simcoe sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, even though I'm not a huge fan of that place, but, uh, um, yeah, a lot I, of the inland lakes, you know, are, are phenomenal up here. Like yeah. you guys in the South think the Champlain is so good. I, I just think it's like an average lake for what we sure. Fish. You know, that that's a good point. I, I got to pick your brain on this. Is there a lot of good fishing up your way on lakes that maybe don't have tournaments that are just too small or not well known? There's gotta be like a ton of them. That are just you know, I, amazing. I couldn't even within an hour of my house, I couldn't even count how many lakes we have. Dang, I, yeah, I have no idea. Like yeah. a couple hundred within an hour. I don't have no uh-huh. idea. Wow, like so many I've never been on that. Yeah. I, I I heard guys go out and you know somebody goes out and figures out there's a bunch of seven pound largemouth in it, and that's mm-hmm. kind of a hidden thing for a couple of years, and then oh no, now it's this other lake. So sure, at least I've never even heard of that are 45 minutes from my house. Yeah, so it's fascinating. Little back lakes and smaller places that don't have tournaments but you know the a lot of the, the tournament lakes i'm sure a lot of guys especially in the northern u.s have heard of you know rice lake simcoe 
mm-hmm. those places that are somewhat famous for for being good tournament lakes. What's your favorite way to catch smallmouth? Uh, whether it be techniques or presentation or just kind of uh, you know the general pattern. What what do you love to do the most? Uh, probably deep drop shotting. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting on top of them, which I mean, we all kind of know that's starting to go away slowly. <laughs> on a lot of places, it's getting harder and harder. There are those fish getting more pressured into the, the boats around them. It's getting harder to do that. Um, really deep structure fishing in general, whether, you know, whether I got to be on top of them or stick, keep the boat off. And that's kind of what I like to do. I get really frustrated chasing some of those, uh, shallow ones around when they don't want to cooperate, you know, sight fishing for those things. Um, some days they're a little finicky and it can frustrate you and you can see a 25 plus pound bag just cruising all over the place and you can't catch one. It's, it drives me insane, but probably the most fun thing and guys don't really talk about it much but a lot of our tournaments up here in the inland lakes are one flipping for smallmouth like really? you know eight, eight foot weed lines kind of the same a lot of oil up here so get on the weed lines and just 65 pound breed and a half ounce jig three quarter ounce jig and that's how the jig and the jerk bait are how a lot of our inland lakes are one so you got a little bit of grass and some of these smallmouth are holding on that that outside edge perhaps just kind of cruising around uh yeah, that's interesting. Uh, flipping and, and uh, braid, just yeah, it's pretty fun to lay the lumber to the like a five pound smallie with on a short line like that with sixty five braid. You just boat flip them. Uh huh. They pull a lot harder when you hit them than a largemouth does. Dang, dude, that's that's pretty cool. That's something uh, I mess with a little bit. I had a little experience on Oneida. We get to do that, uh, but I can imagine. Uh, even some of those inland lakes that you were just talking about that are, are that don't have tournaments, I can imagine just going there and just having fun and and fine tuning your techniques. I'm sure you do a lot of that as far as exploring different baits and stuff, especially on these bodies of water that don't see a lot of pressure. You can learn a lot doing that because you kind of have the lake to yourself, you have those fish to yourself, and you can see how they react to those baits. What's your number one bait of choice when you are flipping a grass grass edge for those smallmouth? Half or three quarter ounce jig. Ah, okay. Zoom dunk. That's Basic. small dunk is what I throw. Black. It's a black, black jig. Straight black. Yeah. 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 I like that style. Uh, braid or was it fluorocarbon? Um, I I've kind of gone back to the braid. I was a big fluorocarbon guy for years and years. I jumped on that train as soon kind of as soon as fluorocarbon came out and. I think I'm back to all braid now, are you? Just, yeah. especially, especially with the smallmouth because of how, how hard their mouths are. And I just, I find that sometimes I don't think even floating, you know, 20, 25 pound fluorocarbon and a, and a heavy rod. I, sometimes I don't think you can penetrate their mouth. Their, their jaws are so strong. I think sometimes they just clamp down on that jig and it'll just whack them and sure. they'll swim three feet and come off. And I don't think that hook ever got in them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, are you a... Are you a braid to floral on your on your spinning rods when you when we're talking Great Lakes and in deep water smallmouth as well? Yeah, for some things, I, I think I probably use straight floral more than more than most guys. Oh. Um, definitely drop shotting. I will not use braid at all. Why is that? Drop shotting or a Ned rig? No, I'll be straight floral all the time. Okay. Uh, the biggest thing is, uh, I, I mean, I've played with it obviously, and 
I've had a lot of breakoffs um, with the braid. Um, and, and you've seen it, you catch, you know, you're out in 30 foot of water, you set on one under the boat. And as soon as you hit him, he comes right up, right? He jumps beside the boat and then he's straight back to the bottom. Well, that braid, it'll snap as soon as he starts digging back, hits the water and goes back down. And I, I think that's because of the braid digging into the pool and not allowing your drag to do its thing. Right. And I don't ever have that problem ever with, uh, with fluorocarbon. So I just, I just use, um, six pound test gamma, mm-hmm. which is really eight yes. pound test. Yeah. And, um, I just tie a little tiny barrel swivel mm-hmm. through the line twist. And yeah, you talked, uh, I mean, that's interesting. There's you, you ask a hundred smallmouth anglers and you'll get so many different opinions when it comes to that. Uh, one thing that does resonate with me when, when you're talking drop shotting and, and Ned rigging, uh, gamma, that is some, pretty good line uh it's hard to beat expensive right uh it's it's probably one of the more expensive uh lines out there but it there's something about it now for those that want to investigate gamma i certainly uh recommend it i i use it but it's a little different as far as your diameters when you're comparing to some of the other lines on the market you brought up a good point six pound test really is eight if you compare it to any of the other major brands that are out there, but there's something about that line, uh, abrasion resistance, uh, holds knots very well. And in my opinion, it's one of the most underrated, uh, fluorocarbon lines out there, uh, or maybe not well known or fished. I mean, those that know, know, but a lot of times the bigger brand that are in those box stores, people gravitate to those. And if you're looking for something a little different, that might give you an edge. Uh, gamma is where I would, would certainly focus. So, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, I'm always, yeah, I, always I been a fan of it. Gamma either. So I used to be sponsored by them. I got free line, loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, lost that sponsorship years ago, tried other stuff. It went back Came pretty back. quick. Yeah, it's very like, good. You're not good using that. T- good testimonial yeah. about that. So deep water. So a lot of electronics, a lot of, uh, idle time, of course, I, I want to hear your thoughts. Like, how do you go? And when you have a tournament coming up on the great lakes, you're going to gravitate, I guess, more towards the deep water bite than the shallow bite. Is that what you're focused on? Yeah. hundred percent. I spent very little time shallow. Um, I mean, I, f- I fished there so long, like, like Ontario, there's not too many secrets out there anymore. You just know. Um, yeah, I know it. I'll, I'll run those places and, and see if, you know, what's up, but I don't really air unless, unless I, unless I have to, it's more like a plan B or C. Yeah. I'm like that. Right. I run as many deep schools as I can. And if I, you know, something happens where I can't get to them or I've run six schools and I can't get a bite out of any of them. Then, okay. I guess we're going shallow. Yeah. And by that time, it's one o'clock in the afternoon, right? Uh, it, we've all been there. It's it's tough. I love a shallow bite. Uh, I know a lot of uh, some of these successful guys that have been on the podcast uh, focus a lot on on the shallow deal. It's hard for me. It's fun when conditions are right, but it's it's hard for me to rely on a shallow bite. Uh, just me personally, because I can go deal with it if I know there's some fish, and let's say we have some clouds and waves, which is common. 
uh, on the Great Lakes, it kind of throws you for a loop if it's not ideal conditions. So uh, as as tournament tactics go, I shy away with that. I'm in your boat, dude, when it comes to that deep water bite. I like trying to find a little bit of consistency, although things have been changing. The deep yeah. water bite, man, it's uh, oh, it's it's becoming more and more frustrating every year, it seems. And you're right. You can have the best game plan going into a tournament and get out there and you look like a, a fool coming back to the weigh-in because you ain't got no fish, even though you've been on fish all week. It's so freaking crazy and frustrating what those fish will put you through out there. How do you combat that? Like, what what's your game plan going in when you're fishing an event and a body of water that you're familiar with? You have your go-to spots, but are you looking for new areas during practice? And and how often do you find like a new awesome area that's like, dang, this this could have some potential? I don't think I've found a new deep <laughs> thing since yeah. 2013, 14. It's hard. It, th- there's not that many fish out there, to be honest. I mean, there's. Mm-hmm. it seems like it, when you find them, it seems like there's just an unlimited number of fish out there. But it's yeah. not like it used to be. It used to be 100 fish. Like, you saw one on your graph, you caught it. Mm-hmm. Now, once you're there for a few minutes, the whole school scatters out on you. You can't catch the ones that are there. And the schools just aren't the same. It was hundred, There was, like, two or three, 400 fish schools. Now there's 30 fish schools. It's interesting. You know, you talk to people and – and they say every lake, uh, every body of water has its cycles. I, I'm curious if we are going through a, a lower cycle when it comes to smallmouth. Because, of course, the good thing is you can go up in that 15 to 20 foot range out on Lake Ontario and catch as many, you know, 12 to 14 inches that you want, which I think is a good sign. But those big fish, you know, they're old. Okay. And, and there is definitely cycles and I don't know exactly what's going on out there. Maybe it's just, maybe I just suck. Uh, you know, maybe it's a bad year for me as an angler, but it's been a little tough out there. We're seeing more and more, you know, we've had some people on the podcast talking about some of the bigger charter boats and, and keeping fish. Uh, I think that's a problem, you know, not people, not practicing catch and release, holding smallmouth in a live well. And then, you know, to get that picture at the end of the day. Uh, all that I think adds up a little bit and as a smallmouth angler that loves to catch them and, and compete, you know, keeping those fish healthy and, and, you know, not over harvesting, I, I feel is really important in fish management. And it's to the point where you almost can't count on the, the different departments to regulate that because it's a five fish bag limit for whoever wants to go out there. They don't realize if you get on that four and a half, five pound school of smallmouth and you decide to throw them in your cooler you're killing 10, 11, 12 year old fish, five or 10 or whoever's, how many's in your boat. It's, it's pretty sad. What's, what's really going on. So fish care is important. I know you love those long runs out there on Lake Ontario and sometimes in big waves. What's your approach when, you know, keeping fish alive is extremely important in tournaments yet for someone who's just starting out in tournament fishing, or maybe not familiar with the Great Lakes and how to manage those smallmouth. Can you take a little bit of time and walk me through some of uh, the steps and procedures you take to make sure you make sure those fish stay alive throughout the day and can be released back to fight another day, I guess. Yeah, that's something I struggled with for a long time. I fished a lot of tournaments on big water and they're hard to keep alive. You know, they're not like largemouth. 
they they're huge pussies and yeah. you beat them up in, in a heartbeat and they're done. Like they can look fine and five you can go for a five minute run and three of them are dead. And I've, mm-hmm. I've seen it. I fish Canadian opens where it was almost a thing where I just accepted I was going to have a couple dead every day. Wow. And it's just unacceptable. I, I see it all the time now. And it's been years ago. I learned a system and it's been completely flawless since I've learned this thing. I have never killed one. Oh, wow. And it's, and it's so easy. It's so easy. So what I do is first thing in the morning, I, I run a Ranger 520C. So it's got the live walls are, are like a shared live wall with just a yep. uh, divider in the middle, right? Divider, yep. So what I do is I take one of the sides, a cone or side, doesn't really matter. And first thing in the morning, I fill that one side completely right to the lid with ice. Okay. I put my live walls on, on, um, on research. So that it closes okay. up. Also, no water. When I as soon as I launch my boat, no water's coming into my boat. And then I just leave it like that until I get to my first place. When I get to my first place, I immediately fill my live wells. Right, and I want to make sure that that water is um, as high as I can get it. But I want that sprayer to still be shooting down into the water, so it'll oxygenate the water. You make a huge mistake by filling that thing right to the lid, and they think it's going to keep that water from sloshing around. Yeah, it, I guess it might do that, but also it's not allowing all the stuff from there. All the, the research stuff. pump, yeah, it's it's not allowing the the water to, to shoot back in and, and research that, that or, sorry reoxygenate that water, but it's also not allowing the stuff from their piss and everything to evaporate out. And there's there's no air gap. You need that air gap there. That's why you see a lot of those guys running that little vent whole thing in the top of their live wells. Yeah, do you run that? No, I don't, but I would recommend it. I just really. So Never. yeah, Never. that's a good point. I, that gas comes up through the water and then is in that air. If you don't open your live oil lids and stuff. It'll, it'll eventually kill those fish eventually. Wow. So that's, yeah. Um, you want that so, gap for, for, that, for that reason, for the gases to escape. And also so that, that, that pump can shoot down in and, and oxygenate the water. So now that I've got to my first spot, I fill, I've got my ice in my one side. I filled it up to the top, left enough gap. So the, the breather pump can shoot in and I leave it on as soon as I fill it up to that level, I plug my overflow and then I put it on research and I keep that same water all day long. And I, I usually take about typically 10 bags of ice with me every day. Ten and I bags. use all 10 every time. Wow. If you're getting three, four bags of ice, no good. Like some days, if it's really hot, I'll take 12, 13 bags. Now, some okay. days I don't use them all, but most days I do. To me, it's probably, you know, I just kind of stick my hand in the water every once in a while. You want a cold. I've never found that you can ice those fish out. The colder it is, the more they seem to like it. I've never had an issue. Like, they all, at the end of the day, I can beat them up in six footers, do whatever, and they all look like I just caught them in five feet of water ten minutes ago when I come into the weigh-in. So I, so I assume you have some sort of either a cooler built in the boat or a cooler that you're bringing along. That's what you would recommend uh, if someone doesn't have a cooler to actually have a separate cooler for that ice. Is it just gas station ice? Yep. Okay. Yep. And you can are do you, whatever. Uh, are you I taking it out of the bags or are you leaving it in the bag? I just leave it in the bag. I've heard people say the chlorine that they use to make the ice and all that stuff in the, you know, in the water. And right. I've right. never any issues with that stuff i've tried i've gone to the pet store and got the the aquarium stuff to change the ph and all that stuff but like for fish tanks but no i, I as long as it's cold that's 
They're like, I mean, look really, better. at it in, in, you know, in August and you go into color fish, <laughs> you reach in there and then you've got your arms under your, like, <laughs> right. your back up because it's that cold. And those there's, I've never seen uh, any ill effects from, from icing them down that hard. So I, I'm right on board with you, but I'm learning something new here. I I'm a one or two bag ice guy. And I was always like, you know, no. it's, it's done by like, your first bag's done and then you're you go you go dump your second and then you got three four hours left and a ride back in and then staging right <laughs> in yeah, a bay there for an hour and a half waiting to weigh in mm-hmm. and yeah so yeah I, I minimum like even if it's a cool uh, like a cooler day I'll go eight bags gotcha. Min- like minimum, minimum wow good to know well and it's kind of like once an hour you know you dump a, a three quarters of a bag in or a bag in you know you don't you don't want a temperature difference, and that's why you don't put any pump any new water in ever. You keep that same water, so you're not because if you're pumping new water in, you're just constantly changing that temperature up, and that's yep. no no good. And and fizzing is is major, major, major. Yes. So are you, uh, I guess, down the gullet in the mouth, or are you down the side pectoral fins and and going in, kind and of the everything. right way? Yeah, through the side is the right way. Yeah, if you're going through the mouth, then you're you're playing with fire there because you're, you're going past all their organs, their brain or everything. I mean, it's, yes. I mean, it's crazy. I, I, I hate to admit it, you know, years ago when we first learned about fizzing and, and how important it is to me, that seemed like the easy route. You look for that little star in the back or whatever in the crushers and you, I had a handful of dead fish, man. It felt terrible probably because I poked something I shouldn't have. And it's a little more scarier you think going down in the body uh, but there's a lot of good information. We're going to try to send some links uh, here in the description as well to help you become a better fizzer because, you know, a lot of these people that are watching this podcast and, and listening to it on the YouTube channel are, are thinking about maybe fishing tournaments or starting to fish the Great Lakes or, or deeper bodies of water, regardless of where you are in the country, and want to learn a little bit more about fish care. And fizzing is really, really the difference in in everything. Uh those fish will just get beat up. They're they're literally if you if you don't know what we're talking about, they they're floating on their sides uh, because of the air bladder. They can't go down by themselves. Now I found that maybe you know more about this than I do, but if I catch a fish right away, it seems like they'll go back down and hopefully survive. But there's something about keeping them up out of the water for a certain period of time, and what that time frame is, I don't know. I think there's a fine line. But at some point, that fish isn't going to be able to get back down. And I've seen that a lot when you put that fish in a live well to get that that picture, right? Set him in the water and release it. And he's just sitting up there floating around. There's a seagull up there waiting for him to die so he can go chew out his eyeballs. Uh, I mean, that's just that's that's what we see yeah. out there. So, yeah, if, walk- if you want one, let him go right away. If you want a quick picture be very fast because the longer you keep them out, the better chance you're going to have to fizz them. And if you're not fizzing a fish that you've any, anything deeper than about 20 foot, there's a good chance he's going to have to be fizzed. If, if you're releasing that fish immediately, probably not going to have to fizz it. If you put it in your live well or take too long taking pictures, you're probably going to have to fizz that fish. And if, you, if he needs to be fizzed and you don't fizz him, you've just killed that fish. Yeah. You need to fizz those fish. They will not eventually go down. They will yeah. not. So somebody, either yourself or the tournament organization, when you do bring them in, somebody has to do it there. Otherwise, that fish will die. So you're killing a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old fish. There was a a tournament a couple years ago, and I was out at Maine Duck on on Lake Ontario. 
and I broke down out there and there was a, a bunch of boats fishing a school and I eventually uh, was on my way towards the island to wait for the Coast Guard to give me a tow. And, and I kind of went past where that, you know, it was checking time and they'd all, they'd all gone in. And I went past that, that area where all those boats had been fishing and there was 40, 50, I don't know how many, you know, wow. three and a half to five, you know, the four and a quarter, four and a half pound you know, floating through the whole area. And I went over thinking, okay, I'll just scoop them all up, stick them all, let them go down. Well, the, the seagulls had already got them all. All their their eyes, their gills, everything were gone. And it was just because mm-hmm. guys were pulling them out and not taking the time to fizz them. And the other thing I want to I want to mention too is um is those fin clips. Those are no good. Just fizz the fish. That's not going to do anything. It'll, it'll keep them make you feel better because it'll it'll pin them to the bone. But that's really all it's doing. It's and there's not enough par- pressure change in that you know. What is your live ball? A foot and a half deep. Yeah. There's not a pressure change there to really do anything to those fish. So you're just kind of making yourself feel better because they're not floating in your live ball anymore. Do you use, and it takes a little bit of practice, uh, you know, watch a bunch of videos before you go out there and test it in real life. Uh, there's a bunch of people up there. Uh, Barb is, is uh, one of the ladies that on the U S side that helps out a lot of these organizations that will take the time to teach you how to properly fizz a fish, which is important. Obviously, knowing what we know now, it's almost standard. If you're going to go out there and fish deep water and keep that fish, you got to have some type of fizzing device, and it's uh, very inexpensive and super easy once you get. It's so easy. I've had so many co-anchors that you know were freaked out by it, and I show them like once, and they're good. It's yeah. it's so easy. That I sent you that link to Bruce Tuft's video. He's a fisheries biologist at Queen's University. Probably knows more about smallmouth bass than anyone in the world biologically right and that's all he does is study the fish out on lake ontario and the st lawrence and uh so i give you that link to his little fizzing video and it's it's super easy just lay the pectoral fin down and i mean you can i've seen guys just that here you've never done it before take a needle and try it because i know they're not going to kill the fish even if they miss it three four times i've never killed one fizzing it through the side like that so i mean don't be scared you're if you I've seen guys that won't fizz because they're scared that they'll kill it. Yes, I can see that. You fish if you don't fizz it. So you're better off stabbing away, in my opinion. Okay. You know, Do you, you use any? Times, oh, well, you'll get it the fourth time, you know, yeah. but at least you're giving that fish a chance. If you just let him float, he's got no chance. He's bird mm-hmm. food. Are you using any type of uh, additives or anything to the water? I know there's a bunch on the market. I don't know if that works or not, but. You no, know, I've got a bunch of G juice in my boat, but. I mean, that's kind of, you don't really use that years. I've never really had to use it. And I don't, another thing, if you do use that stuff and you're shooting that water down and it starts, um, foaming up, get it out of there, get it out of there. Cause that's, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of that is like the ammonia and everything up from their, their, the fish's pee and everything. And that's not good in there. I actually carry like a little kitchen strainer in the back of my boat. If I ever do use that stuff that I can scoop it out very easily and not you know have it all so, over your hands so you use like a strainer that you'll yeah, scoop it's a little, little small like kitchen strainer kind of like a small yeah like, dude because i know exactly what you're talking about i always like man that that's some, that stuff foamed up pretty good in there whether yeah. it's because i use too much or whatever yeah yeah it's a beautiful little thing to have in the back of your boat for those days but but it sounds like if you just if you keep that water temp cold and you fizz your small mouth you shouldn't have any problems. No. Yeah. And the biggest thing is make sure you like, so when I go to, when I say I catch a five pounder, 
right? I, I put it in the live wall. I go back to fishing for a two, two to five minutes. Uh, I don't, if it's a big one, you can't wait more than five minutes, especially if it's the deeper it is, the faster you have to do it too, because the, the pressure buildup is, is much greater in 40 feet than it is in 20 foot. Okay. Uh, so wait no longer than five minutes. The reason I, I don't do it right away is I like to let them kind of blow it up fully before I do it. I don't want to have to fizz that fish twice. I don't uh. want to do it right away and then come back and go 20 minutes later and go, he's floating again. What the heck, you know, and, and have to do it again. So I can five minutes kind of max. And, um, and then I go yeah. fizz that fish and he's good for the rest of the day. He's in that cold water. Okay. I have no worries. I haven't killed one in, since I started using that, wow. that ice system. And I mean, it's heavy ice, but I mean, yeah. It is. You know, you guys are cheap, you know. I, let's face it, ice isn't that yeah. cheap every day to have to go and get 20. 10, 12 minutes ice, right? Yeah. Nobody wants yeah. that extra expense. But I mean, what what it can save you in tournament winnings and stuff is is crazy. Oh, yeah. You have hundred thousand dollar boats and rigged with these electronics, and mm-hmm. I mean, what's ten bags of ice, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if you remember like Justin Lucas uh, a few years ago, Thousand Islands. I, I think he lost the elite series because he didn't fit hmm. and, and it could have cost him anger of the year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's scary. Uh, are you using call tags? And if so, which kind? Um, that's kind of a heated debate. I know. I, I, so I what's your like, theory about that? It's all on smallmouth. Um, and I, I the reason I say it's kind of a heated debate is I do not like the, I like the puncture style. I do too. Yeah, I, I'm I right there. All these, all, all these organizations, some some local organizations that are forcing you to put the uh, non-punctured big yeah. plastic clip on their jaw. The bigger that plastic is for that clip, is it's terrible for smallmouth. That old thing will kill a smallmouth. I'm right with you on that, but like you said, that is a very controversial topic. Uh, the thing you're, is, you're gonna you're gonna have guys that are like, oh, I never kill a fish with those plastic clips. They're the best. They're safe. Man, I've seen it firsthand. I've killed fish yeah. with those plastic clips. I've seen it. Yeah. I don't I don't put a call tag on them unless I have to, and I use the puncture when when legal to to do it. And you know, because obviously some government organizations don't want to use them. Um, and I, and I mean, we've all seen that big slit that starts you know down here and well, goes. Well, you have to do it. Yeah, there's a there's I mean, a technique to do it correctly. It, right against the bone and mm-hmm. I can show you one of my fish that's been punctured and I bet you can't find the hole because mm-hmm. it's right against the, the jawbone, Right. And there's no slippage at all. My problem other than like, those big conservation clips, non-puncture ones are so bulky that they will kill smallmouth. They're, yeah. they're seem to be fine on the large mouth. Um, the other thing is every time I've tried to use those things and I, I don't carry a scale, I'm all balanced beam. Every time I put, I put them up on the beam, they're falling off. Especially when you're getting, you know, four, four and a half pound fish and you're trying to beam them, they're falling off. So how good is that for a fish if he's falling two, two feet down and hitting his head on the carpet and then he's rolling around losing all the slump coat on the hot, blazing hot carpet. You know, there's, there's a lot of, I don't know, I just puncture him and don't worry about it. Right. And then Uh plus he's falling off and he's he's out of the water longer. There's a lot of downsides to it. Right. Yes. You're not putting a hole in fish's mouth, but I think that you're probably probably healthier for the fish just to have a tiny little puncture. It'll it's no bigger than a than a hook hole. Yeah, yeah. No, if properly. So right on board. So the theme here is go catch big five and six pounders, so you don't have to worry about putting a tag in their in their uh, mouth, and you're good to go. Um, 
And, and it's easy, especially on the Great Lakes, guys. You got to remember, you you fill your live well up. That's crystal clear water. Okay, you can look in your in your live well with five fish, and you can kind of judge it at some point. Uh, later on the day, that's when I'll find myself sometimes with the two or three that might be in that three and a half, four pound range, and they're pretty close. Maybe putting a tag on them. Uh, I went with because of, you know we're forced down here, especially on, on the Chesapeake where I fish a lot for largemouth. We have to have those non-punctured clips. So that's what I carry in the boat. Uh, the ones I had issues with in the past were the bigger ones. I went down to a smaller one. I still have that. I'm still always nervous when I when I clip a a, a smallmouth. But that's uh yeah, real good stuff to know. Uh, you know, based off of your experience not being able to not having a lot of fish kills in recent memory, uh, we're gonna definitely take note, use a lot more ice. Maybe yeah. mess around with some chemical additives, but just watch that. Be careful. And then, of course, just the fizzing is the most important. And yeah. doing it. It's so hard when you're on a big group of fish. You know that. Yeah. But, but I mean, to. if you're catching them in like 40, you better fizz them. Or they, they won't last. They just won't. You can go in yeah. 50, and I guarantee you, you won't keep them alive all day. Mm-hmm. You don't fizz them. So how about the ride in? Uh some days, of course, it's flat, calm, and we're back at the at the uh, tournament, no problems. Other days, it's uh, four, five, six footers out there, and uh, those fish are definitely taking a pounding. Uh, I stop quite a bit, probably more than most. Let that water fill back up. Now, you mentioned you do you fill back up on on your runs, or do you keep that? You just monitor it. Yeah, I just kind of slow down a little bit and crack mm-hmm. the lid, take a look, but I've got the overflow plugged all day. So, you know, I really it's fine. Shouldn't you be don't lose water. water. You don't lose water. <clears throat> no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't, but uh, you know what I mean? It's always a good idea to, to crack that. Like you're, I mean, great lakes when it's rough, you know, fast is 30 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is like flying around out there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so if you slow down, you're doing, 25 or something you slow down to 15 and you just kind of crack the lid look back okay the water's still good it's a good idea yeah. to you know check up on them but it, you shouldn't be losing any if you're if you've got it plugged and everything so mm-hmm. man now this is some good information here i we're we're getting close on the time limit i i again wanna uh thank you for bringing a little bit of different perspective when it comes to these podcasts uh fish care. I mean, why not? That's probably one of the most important parts of everything we do. It's reason why we can do what we do is because there's fish to be caught. And, uh, without these ways of preserving that resource, uh, who knows what's going to happen. It's, uh, it's scary. What can happen? We've seen a lot of bodies of water where, uh, the fishing just deteriorated because of overkill and over harvest. And of course, as a tournament angler, fish care is very important, not only because we want to do well in the event, but you know, we like, we like catching those big fish in the future and letting everyone else uh, share in that experience as well. Seriously, Curtis, thank you for for shedding some light on that subject. A couple things I want to talk to you about before we let you go, because I always ask every guest on the show, I got to do this to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna say you can, you can only use one bait the rest of the year, one bait only to catch smallmouth. I don't care how you rig it, but it's only one bait. What bait are you gonna choose for that year? Hmm. It's hard not to say a drop shot. Uh, so some type of drop shot, babe, but we got to get specific. I need to know huh. exactly. Uh, well, I've, I've got a bait that I've been, I've made years ago. Um, 
actually with uh, Ben Parker. Um, mm-hmm. We made that big giant, you know, ledge spoon. Yeah. Uh, me and him, uh, he had a mold made for me years ago, and we were going to put it out uh, under another company, and things fell through. And I've, I've just been using that for a while. Um, so hoping a to come out sneaky special. Just an irregular kind of drop shot bait. It's a little different than most. Uh-huh. And, but that's the bait I'd be using. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Small three inch finesse drop shot bait. Finesse drop shot bait. All right. So we're going to take it one step further. You're hand pouring or you're, you're making your own baits. A little sneaky three inch deal. I'm only going to give you one color then. What, what are you going to make? My uh, green pumpkin. Green pumpkin. Of course. Yeah. Why wouldn't you, right? It's the perfect, uh, it's, it's, it's the perfect, uh, color. If you're ever lost and you have no idea what color you should be throwing green pumpkins, a good choice to start with at least anyways, uh, good stuff. What's your personal best smallmouth? What's your biggest you ever caught? That, I, I don't really know exactly, but I don't carry a scale. So unless it's, a, yeah, you know, early spring, the uh-huh. champagne, champagne, you know, bed fish tournament kind of deals. That's the only time I'll uh-huh. ever have a smallmouth. Uh, but a bunch of years ago, I caught a big one on Lake Simcoe in the tournament. It was seven something. I don't know. Sure. Like, it didn't even win big. So I <laughs> kind of forgot about it. So yeah. All day long. Did. You're thinking, yep. I probably got big fish. And yeah. I want to say it was seven and a half, something like that. Wow. And somebody Dang. ended up bringing it. So. Crazy. Crazy. How? Okay. Let me ask you this. Do you think there's a, well, for state record, it'd be U.S. Waters, New York. I don't know what the Canadian record would be, but do you think there's a state record living on Lake Ontario right now? Probably. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Canadian record's nine and a half, I believe. So. Oh, wow. Simcoe definitely has it. You think uh, Simcoe does? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely Canadian records in Simcoe for sure. Uh, Lake Ontario, probably. Yeah. Wow. Crazy, I mean, when you're out there, there's got to be some nines, right? Yeah, what lake did that seven and a half? Was that Simcoe? You said. Yeah, that was Simcoe, and I was. I don't fish that lake very often. I don't like it. It's it's got giants in it. It's hard to catch them most of the year. It's that's what I'm hearing. You you hear all these big tags. Yeah, but I mean, usually there's a there used to be a Bass Pro Shops tournament up there every fall, and I mean, if you caught five, you had twenty six to thirty pounds, but hmm. only a handful of guys would have a limit, right? So they're they're big ones when you catch them, but they're they're difficult to catch. Last time I fished out there, um, I was on a big school and could barely catch any. It, they're they're Jeez. very fluffy and yeah. they're giants. It's 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 kind of cool. And that big one I caught, I caught it out of I think seventy two feet of water, which was kind of different. That's one of the deeper ones I've ever caught. Yeah, that's a deep that's a deep smallmouth. Yeah, better better fizz them right. Absolutely. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Well, good stuff, man. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. How can people follow you if they want to keep up with what you're doing uh, as far as social media, things like that? Instagram is basically all I use. Uh, mm-hmm. Just Curtis Richardson. Uh, it's underscore Curtis underscore Richardson. Uh, also, um, I, I do some hand-tied uh, jigs, like like flip jigs, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's also probably where I'm where my bait's going to be, uh, the drop shot bait's going to be coming out soon. Okay. Uh, that's that GLP tackle on Instagram, uh, GLP, it's great. Lake premium tackle. Um, okay. yeah. it's GLP tackle. Um, and then I also, uh, I'm, I'm guiding now also on Lake Ontario and the St. Lawrence river. Sweet. Um, yeah. Thousand Islands, uh, fishing charters. On cool. Instagram. 
Very good. Yeah, we're going to yeah. put all that uh, all the information will be in the show notes here in the description of the video. And I'm also going to link a little bit of information when it comes to fish care as well. So you guys are interested in learning a little bit more about that. Don't forget to uh, check out those links. Follow along as uh man, I can't wait to have your drop shot baits come out. So I'll be I'll be checking that out for sure. Again, Curtis, thanks for joining us. As always, you're always welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. And I'll uh, probably run into you, I'm sure, this year at the probably the Northern yeah. Open. Right? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Right. We'll I'll be there. Sounds good. And as always, guys, until next time, we'll see you on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Smallmouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.